Welcome to God First with Brian C. Thomas, a program committed to encouraging you to put God first while viewing life through the window of the Bible. Now, in honor of the one and only true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let's join Brian C. Thomas for today's message. Well, greetings to everyone, and I have with me my good friend Nathan Jones with Lamb and Lion Ministries. Welcome to the program, Nathan. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here with you again. All right. Always good to talk with you. And we're talking today about what seems to be the hot topic today is the upcoming presidential election, the 2012 election. And we're going to actually speak on it from a Christian perspective, because there are a lot of people out there today that I'm hearing as Christians and they're struggling with what to do and how to approach this election. So we're going to discuss that. And Nathan, I know, as always, you'll give a lot of good advice for us. And uh, I just want to begin by stating that there are a lot of people who think this election is actually the most important in recent history, if not ever. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree with it? I certainly agree with it, Brian. I, I feel as a nation that we are actually standing at a crossroads. We can go down two separate paths. One path would lead to globalization, where the United States gives up its authority and its sovereignty to a higher body, a one-world order. Uh, how we deal with Islam is another issue. Do we join them, or do we fight against them as an ideology that's taking over parts of the world and has an idea to take over the whole world? Uh, where does the United stand, States stand as a world power? We can go down a road where we weaken ourselves and equal ourselves to many other world powers, or do we stay a superpower? Uh, economically, you know, do we continue to go down the road where we bury ourselves in debt until we go broke, or do we actually do something about it and try to get out of debt and become uh, economically prosperous like we were? And most importantly to me, I think we stand at a crossroads about morality in society. How do we decide what is moral and what isn't? What do we base our decisions about morality on? So I think in all those different areas, the United States is is right now got to make those de decisions, and this election plays very, very large in that direction that will affect the the outcome of how our country will look even 10 years from now. Yeah, I agree with you. And with so much riding on this election, that is why we as Christians, and we'll touch on this more later, but why we definitely need our voice to be heard in this election. Amen, brother. So what, of course, we know that there are the two main political par parties that we have. We have the Republicans and then we have the Democrats. So how do you describe the two approaches from these these main parties? Because we know there are some differences there. So so in your own words, how do you as de describe the approaches that each party takes to, I guess, uh, achieving the goals that our nation is looking for? Certainly. Well, you know, historically, the Democrats and the Republicans have been very similar. Uh, they both based their um, morals and their ethics on Judeo-Christian principles. They both were strong proponents of capitalism and they both believed in equal opportunity for all. The only disagreements that they had were just the best way to achieve those goals. But we are seeing just in the last 20 years a radical shift between the Republicans and Democrats. They no longer agree on these principles anymore. For instance, Republicans believe in Judeo-Christian principles, uh, capitalism, equal opportunity, rights for the unborn, uh, no special rights for any particular group, but equal rights for all, full freedom of speech, the idea of open ideas, uh, parental choice in education, that the Constitution is the absolute law of the land, that we should preserve American sovereignty and have a strong military, and uh, specifically that the government is hands-off, that the people are allowed to, to uh, control the law and society. But uh, the Democrats, uh, as a party, have very shifted from that to almost 
total opposite views on that. They see more of a secular society and removing religion out of the public. They see us moving towards a leaving capitalism to more socialist economy as they practice in Europe. Uh, freedom of abortion, uh, there's no rights for the unborn. Uh, giving extra special rights to uh, people in homosexuality. Uh, support of same-sex marriage, which is something new, 4,000 years or, and plus, and we've never had same-sex marriage, and yet uh, the Democrats are very uh, pushing on legalizing that. Uh, restrictions of freedom of speech, prohibiting the teaching of the creation, uh, censor of all ideas outside of the liberal ideas, uh, making everybody go to public schools and uh, being taught a secularist agenda, uh, specifically that the Constitution is not an absolute, and uh, that we transfer sovereignty of our country from us to a larger entity, a global government, and then give our military into a, a bigger military at the UN, a very hands-on government approach. So uh, as I could tell you, between these two different ideologies, very different, have a very different view of what the future is for the United States. Yeah, I agree with you. And of course, you know, we know you and I know that the Bible does not mention Republicans or Democrats. Some some people, <laughs> some people may that may shock some because some act as if it does. You know, they'll they'll I say there's some people that have more of an allegiance to their political party than they do to God, it seems. Um, Amen. Um, but God's but, up there on his throne wrapped in a big American flag. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, but with that said, what do you think still which party best aligns with the scriptures? We know, of course, no party anywhere in the world is going to be perfect. But which between the Republicans and the Democrats do you think best aligns with the biblical principles? Well, we have to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible teach about God's law? After all, God is the sovereign king of the universe. And therefore, we need as a nation, as a people, and individually, need to be following the roots that he gave us, the, the biblical foundation of us. So we have to look at who we vote for, whether Republican or Democrat or Independent or whatever, based on the ultimate king, the one who usurps all our man-made laws, God's laws, and look at biblical morality. So, for instance, do we look at government? Do we want a secular, atheistic government that uh, worships the government as communists and social governments do. Uh, and let me just give you two examples. Both the Soviet Union and China, when they adopted a secular atheist government, the result was the slaughter of millions of their own people. I mean, it's a, it's a bloodbath when you have that kind of government. Is that the mm -hmm. kind of government the Lord wants? Uh, when it comes to the way we handle our money, uh, the capitalism and free trade, which are an open, honest system, or supposed to be, has created the greatest wealth in history. It gave, gave jobs and charity for the poor and helped the poor out. Do we get rid of that and go to something else, or do we follow that? Or what about the Bible where it talks about, Thou shalt not murder, the Sixth Commandment, Exodus 20:13, And that's what we're doing with abortion. Uh, what about uh, redefining the family through homosexuality? But the Bible tells us neither to fornicate or to engage in homosexuality. Leviticus 18.22 and 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, they're sins and they're wrong. So they're uh, what the Bible says that we shouldn't be doing. Or what about the idea that, that we move into a society that removes Jesus from the public realm? It censors the views of Jesus. Well, then how can we have justice? Proverbs 8.15 says, By me kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. So if we don't have Jesus, who is the maker of the laws, what does that end up putting us in? It ends up putting us into slavery to our own human governments. And I think most importantly, the idea of idolatry, something that God hates the most. He hate, it just It's the first commandment. He hates idolatry because we put ourselves up before God. 
So what politician or what political party removes God from the equation and put themselves up as government in its place, which is definitely idolatry? So I'd say we need to vote based on biblical moral standards and not on man's standards. And I would say if I have to look, if I have to choose, because you asked, if I had to choose what party right now embodies that, not perfectly, obviously, because we're all human and we sin, but I would say the Republicans right now represent that better. Yeah, and I agree with you. And and what I, I heard a few things that I wanted to highlight there. You spoke about the uh, same sex and you spoke also about abortion. And there are a lot of Christians out there who they will say they do not support those things, but yet they stand behind a political candidate or behind a party which say which says that they do. So how you, I ask myself the question, how do they really reconcile that? How do they come to to where that's an acceptable thing within them? Because I honestly have to say that I cannot sleep at night if I know I'm supporting a party or a, a candidate who I know is going to push abortion, which is going to be the murder of the innocent, the murder of the unborn, who's also going to to push homosexuality, which, as you stated, the Bible is very clear on that. And also, you know, I have what I call sort of my litmus test and these three things that I look at in a candidate and how they treat Israel, their, their stance when it comes to the nation of Israel. And, you know, I, I see Christians and and they go along with those things as far as supporting a, a candidate or a party. But then they turn in around on the other side and say, well, hey, I don't support these things myself personally. So what, what are your thoughts on that? How do they come to that conclusion? I would say, Brian, it's because we have gotten very, very narrow-focused, as well as that focus is on ourselves. So we've become one-issue voters. If there's one particular issue that means a lot to us, then it doesn't matter what the party represents and anything else. It's as long as our issue is being. So let's say uh, that you're particularly about abortion. You're you're for pro-choice or pro-life and you vote only because you want to have an abortion or you don't want other people to have abortions. And then it, you totally forget everything else that that party represents. Or um, both parties represent uh, helping the poor. I think that's probably the, the biggest divider is that there's this general idea that the Democrats are so good with the poor and they're always helping the poor and needy, whereas the Republicans don't. And yet then you look at the leaders of the Democratic Party who don't give at all to charity, and you look at so many of the Republicans who give so much to charity, and uh, you look at how, how they approach that, or the Republican view that you have to produce wealth. Uh, if you create lots of uh, jobs and people are working, that creates wealth, that pulls people out of poverty, and that puts money in their pockets, and people give to charity, which is a very different view from the Democrats who believe that you should take money from people and through the government then give people money and never get them a chance to to pull out and get a job of themselves because they become dependent on the government so to answer your question i would say that we then are the reason is because we have become one issue voters instead of looking at the big picture yeah and i see that that is confirmed in what you stated i've seen polls recently in which they would ask what is the most important thing to you when it comes to a candidate or they would even ask is religion important to you and well under 50 percent would say religion is important and now i i know of course and we'll talk about this a bit more when it comes to the religious beliefs of our two candidates that we have 
But, uh, you know, we're not going to elect a pastor. So it's not so much about that. But we, we do must have to acknowledge that often a per- person's view or that stance when it comes to their religion is going to influence their policy. But a lot of people, their main concern is the economics. They want to know how what is the economy? How is it going to 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 better my lifestyle as far as my bank account? And so they can look the other way when it comes to things like abortion and, and homosexuality, same sex marriage and the nation of Israel. And that's really troubling to me because as you said we should be not just one issue voters we must be we must look at the entire picture and i think if we don't then we're going to have to answer to god someday when it comes to that oh you are absolutely right i agree 100 percent. we cannot be so center focused so selfish so me generation that we put in a government and a system that's totally antithetical to our christian beliefs just because of one or two issues that directly affect us. All right. Now, so when we look at our two candidates, we have President Barack Obama and then we have Mitt Romney. So, of course, we know Obama says he's a Christian. Mitt Romney says he's a Mormon. What do you say to all of the Christians out there who say they will not vote for a Mormon? They say they can't bring themselves to vote for a Mormon. What advice can you give with that? Uh, there's a YouTube video I'd recommend everybody go to. It's done by Chuck Norris, you know, the famous uh, karate TV personality, uh, quite the conservative, very involved in politics now. And he has a great video about why we should vote. And he shows some good statistics. He says that in the last election, uh, Barack Obama won by 10 million votes. But it was shown that 30 million Christians did not come out to vote. 30 million Christians gave up their constitutional right to vote that people have suffered and died for because they didn't like John McCain. You know, if there are issues that affect our Christian beliefs, then we need to come out and support them, and we need to get out and vote. Now, like you said, there are a lot of Christians out there who are really struggling between Barack Obama, who many believe is a Muslim. I, I personally believe he's a humanist. He shows every sign of believing that that humanism is, is the top, uh, Very comes with a socialistic uh, background. But uh, Mitt Romney is a Mormon. They're saying, well, is Mormon Christianity? The Mormons are pushing real hard lately to say they're Christians when historically they have never associated themselves with Christianity because they believe their own, they're a, a, the church. Everybody else is apostate. But, you know, Brian, at any group that denies the deity of Jesus, the Trinity, and that salvation comes solely through Jesus is a cult. And that's what the Mormons believe. So the Mormons, therefore, are a cult. It was founded by Joseph Smith, and he elaborated on the Bible in his teachings, which is the Book of Mormon. He said an angel named Moroni gave him new interpretations of the Bible. And uh, Smith, he just didn't heed God's warning in Revelation 22, 18, and 19 that said, don't add anything to the Word of God. Now, there are many Mormons out there I've run into particularly that are very devoted to seeking God. But Joseph Smith, his teachings were not from God. I mean, he, he lived a very immoral lifestyle. He had many wives. And it just came to that old lie from the Garden of Eden that says, you know, where Satan said that, that we can be like God. And that's what the Mormons believe, that we could be like God. We become that, and we do good works to get to heaven. And again, that isn't Christian. That's totally antithetical to Christianity. But, and, and this is the important part. Yes, Mitt Romney is part of a cult. Barack Obama, barely Christian, if, if you want to go by works, you know, it's a difficult choice. I, I can totally understand why some people really, really, you know, they'd rather not vote at all. But we got to remember that that the office of the president is a political office. It's a total political 
secular office. And so we can't, we're not inv- voting in, say, uh, head of a church or the pope or, or something. It's not a religious <laughs> position. So uh, what is better? I mean, it wouldn't be excellent to have a God-fearing president who accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but we just can't expect that we're going to get that in every election. So as Christians, why we're living on this planet, we need to be restrainers of evil on all levels of society. Sure, the world we know from Bible prophecy is eventually going to perish, it's going to go away. Jesus will come back, he'll be the king, and then we'll have a right government again, a perfect government of peace, righteousness, and justice. But in this meantime, we need to work towards being salt and light in the world. And if that means voting in a lesser of two evils, then that's what we got to do, because we are restrainers of the evil in this world. The Lord works as a restraining influence through his church and that we need to work in helping restrain it. So for me, I have no problem voting for a candidate, even if they're not a Christian, knowing that they will have an opportunity to stem the tide of evil more so than another candidate or another party. Right. And as you mentioned, we have what seems to be a humanist as one candidate, and then we have a Mormon. And so we're going to take a break here, but when we come back, I want to have you address what that could mean as far as in the eyes of God and what it can mean to our nation. So we'll take a short break here and then we'll come back. You are listening to Brian C. Thomas on the God First program. Stay tuned. You are listening to Brian C. Thomas on God First. For more of Brian's teachings, please visit GodFirst.org to browse our extensive library of material. There you will find devotionals, blogs, articles, and audio messages available as MP3 downloads on various topics such as salvation, Bible prophecy, marriage, and the significance of blessing Israel. Just to name a few. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and visit our web store. So please visit us at GodFirst.org. Now, let's return to the conclusion of today's message. Welcome back to the program. I am Brian C. Thomas, the host of God First, and I have with me today Nathan Jones, and we are discussing the Christian approach to the 2012 election. And before the break, Nathan, we talked about the fact that we have a Mormon as a candidate, and then we have what seems to be a humanist who claims Christianity. So I think it's very obvious to us that we do not have a true Christian as a candidate for presidency. So could this be a sign of from God as far as a judgment upon our nation, being that we really don't have a true Christian candidate? Uh, absolutely. Uh, if any example, uh, God set up Israel as an example. We can look to Israel in the Old Testament and the New and see that God, the, how he operates, has never changed. When people in the, the nation of Israel got evil, God gave them an evil king, and the evil king would punish his own people with injustice and high taxes and and basically enslave them and ruin the country. But when people were good, when they they followed God and listened to the prophets and the teachers, then God would grant them a good king, and he would grow the nation, and there would be justice and prosperity. And time and time again, Israel's filled with examples, read through the, the kings and the chronicles, of God using leaders as judgment on the people for good or for bad. So yes, I would believe that uh, firmly that we are getting a president right now, and not just a president, a Congress, a judicial system, the entire framework of our government can be used to uh, bless the Lord if the people are good, but it can also use to punish the people, to bring people back, to, to call out, to cry out underneath their, their persecution and their burdens under an evil government, to call out to the Lord for relief. And what I find so interesting with that is, uh, you know, people will say things like God put a certain person there as president. 
And I agree with you. I think God does control who's there and who's not. But it may not be as a blessing as we think. There are some people who say, well, God put them there. Therefore, it is a blessing. But as you stated, there is example after example in the Bible in which with the nation of Israel, he put someone there as a judgment upon those people. And many would cry out. But then there are still some who even in the midst of judgment and in the midst of it being a, a burden on them, they still don't see it. They don't get it and they don't understand it. And, and it's kind of baffling. But I, I do believe I agree with you. The fact that we've killed 50 million babies legally through abortion in this nation, we see how we're just a, a large engine in the world's uh, pornographic film business. And, and then with our even the, the rated R movies, all the type of filth that we pump out of our country. We've, of course, we've turned our back on Israel. We've began to turn away from Israel. And I think all of these things are are together. God's way of saying, OK, if you want to turn away from me and my commands, if you don't want me in the schools, you don't want me uh, there, you don't want to pray to me or for me, then he's stepping way away. And I think that uh, what we're looking at is the judgment. And I think this may be one of the early phases. And I think it may may be very well that the worst is still yet to come. Sadly true. Uh, you know, we look at Romans 13.1 a lot, and it tells us that God is the one who raises up and tears down leaders. But we assume, well, God is good, therefore all the leaders God gives us got to be good leaders. But that's not the case at all. God gives us good leaders, certainly, but he can also give us bad leaders to punish us. And right now, especially at the, the incredible decline in the United States in the last 10 years, uh, under, you know, bankrupting us from two wars, the, the moral collapse of this country, the the running up of the debt burden, which will collapse us as a world power, the shrinking of our military, all that is showing that America is quickly losing its power and strength under the leadership we're given, and it's a punishment for us. It's a punishment to call us back to God and put him as king of the country again with the presidency and all those as administrators underneath God who follow God and love God, and then a country flourishes once more. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Now, as I touched on earlier, I have what I call my political litmus test. The three things that I look at when it comes to a candidate, I will look at their stance on abortion, their stance on same sex marriage and then their stance on Israel. So can we do a quick comparison between Barack Obama, who's the one who claims to be a Christian and Mitt Romney, who's the one who has acknowledged that he's a Mormon? Where do they stand on these three issues? Well, all you have to do is go to their websites. You can go to uh, Democrats.org, which is the Democrats' official party platform website. And you go to GOP.com, that's the Republican Party platform, and you can read up on both of what both parties believe. I mean, they state very clearly. I can quote for you exactly on Democrats.org. I got that up here. On abortion, the Democratic Party strongly and unequivocally supports Roe versus Wade and a woman's right to make decisions regarding her pregnancy, including a safe and legal abortion regardless of ability to pay. Then you go to the GOPs. We support human life amendment to the Constitution that endorses legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to unborn children. Republican leadership has led the effort to prohibit the barbaric practices of partial birth abortion, and we salute those who provide them with counseling and adoption alternatives. So those, again, those are the two platforms right there. Uh, supporting abortion, Democrats against abortion, Republicans. And we go to same-sex marriage, uh, homosexuality, uh, which uh, God in the Bible calls an abomination. This is what the Democratic platform, right out of their platform, says. We support marriage equality and support the movement to secure equal treatment under law for same-sex couples. Uh, the administration said that the world family and immigration includes LGBT relationships. On uh, GOP.com, their platform says, 
We affirm our support for a constitutional amendment defining marriage as the union of one man and one woman. And then, Brian, you said your third one was Israel. Uh, <laughs> this one, there's a lot, been a lot of contention on because the Democrats have recently added this to their platform, but this is uh, what the Democratic platform says now about Israel. Uh, President Obama and the Democratic Party maintain an unshakable commitment to Israel's security. President Obama and the Democratic Party seek peace between Israel and the Palestinians, adjusting lasting Israeli-Palestinian accord, producing two states for two people. Jerusalem is and will remain the capital of Israel. That sounds good. Republicans say pretty much the same thing. The security of Israel is in the vital national security interest of the United States. Our alliance is based not on shared interests but on shared values. We support Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state with secure, defensible borders, and we envision two democratic states, Israel with Jerusalem as its capital and Palestine living in peace and security. So here the Democrats and the Republicans have almost identical statements. They believe that the Israelis should give up their land to the Palestinians and create a two-state solution, which uh, I think uh, anybody who can look at a map would know that would put Israel totally defenseless against uh, very hostile neighbors. So uh, when it comes to Israel, the litmus test, I would say both parties failed on that one. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the abortion issue, I, I speak on that a lot because, uh, you know, we've killed, again, 50 million babies. And I saw just recently a study that said if it were not for abortions, we would have about 70 million more people in our nation right now currently. And, and I think about how much better the economy would be. You just look at the natural result of seeing in that our economy is struggling. It's not just here in the U.S., all around the world. Think about the millions of people that would be working and providing uh, taxes and all these things, and they would be contributing to the economy. So just that in itself is a judgment that comes from seeing. And, uh, and, and even myself, I'm very passionate about it because my mother actually shared with me that when she was carrying me, the doctor actually encouraged her or gave her the advice to abort me. He said that she if she had not, I would be born either deformed or retarded. And, I, you know, she said, well, she never considered it. And uh, of course, she put her put just puts her faith and trust in God. And now here I am. I'm one who's ministering and spreading the gospel. And I think how many people have we killed through abortion that could be out now proclaiming the word of God as well? And so it's just a really troubling thing for me. And then when it comes to the same sex marriage rights, I heard someone say also that if God does not judge our nation for what we're doing, then he's going to have to issue an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think that's something that really should be a wake up call to a lot of people in our nation. Amen, brother. Hey, my youngest son was born retarded, mentally retarded. Uh, his, Zachary is autistic severely, and uh, we didn't know that at the time because you don't find out to about a year and a half, two years old that your child's autistic. But if a doctor had said to me, well, your son's going to be autistic, and the rest of the life you're going to have to take care of him, would I have aborted him? Well, no, it just wouldn't occur to me because God values life and humanity. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We look short-term, you know. Uh, I can totally understand if, say, a young girl has gotten pregnant out of wedlock and her boyfriend, they're scared and they don't know what to do and, and they choose an abortion, so they, they make a quick short-term decision. But when you look at long-term about what abortion does, not just to, to the millions of lives that are killed, obviously, and, and all the guilt that the women have to live with, but look at the statistics in France right now. There is a huge influx of Muslims coming in their country. In France, because they, they, they abort so many of their children, that each family has one child per family. And when the Muslims come in the country, they don't abort. They have eight children per family. Do you know by the year 2050, 
uh, there will be less native French people than the influx of immigrants coming in. They're breeding themselves out. Every hmm. nation in Europe and America, we're only maintaining the status quo because of the large Latino influx, are breeding themselves out. So countries and peoples that adopt abortion as just a regular thing will eventually breed themselves out of existence. Hmm. Very interesting, but it's so sad that you and I can see that, but there are so many who do not. Um, just the level of discernment is just out the window. But of course, that's what happens when you turn away from God. The discernment goes away as well. And, you know, we saw recently something that I'll be honest, I never imagined seeing in my lifetime in our nation. And as far as turning away from God, in which we saw at the Democratic Convention, they actually removed God and Jerusalem from their platform. And then we all saw we all witnessed what happened. They went back to put it in because of the backlash that they received from the, the public. And there were people actually shaking their fists at the idea of putting God back into their platform. And that, that's just something that I never imagined seeing in my lifetime. But yet we saw that played out just a few weeks ago. Uh, what are your, your thoughts on this? Uh, it, it just made a mockery of the whole voting system of the Democratic Convention. I mean, clearly they, they had removed God and Jerusalem from their party platform. And when it came to a verbal vote, the mayor of uh, San Antonio here from Texas uh, was a moderator, and you have to get a two-thirds call vote to be able to put it back in. He didn't get it. Three times running, only 50% of the people yayed about putting God and Jerusalem back in. The other 50% booed. Booed his, you know, emphatically, like you said, shaking their fists. He was up there. He didn't know what to do. This woman comes up next to him. She points, read the teleprompter. And the teleprompter was a message from Obama that says, you will vote this in. And that's what he did. He voted it in. And so they put God in Jerusalem. And I read one of their statements that they added back in recently. Well, if half the party wants to remove God out of their foundations and God's work through Jerusalem, especially his eternal work through Jerusalem out there, what does that say about the party? Exactly. And of course, we're here. We're not here to promote a, a particular political party. We're basically here to say vote based on the principles of God. But we have to look at the fact that one party versus another, we have to look at where they stand when it comes to the principles of God. So, you know, in light of the Democrat Party, we see they're they're such they have such a liberal stance on so many things. They they actually did vote to, to take God out. We see their liberal stance when it comes to abortion and just so many other things. And, and this is a, a testy, touchy question, but can a person be a true Christian and yet support the Democrat Party? How can anyone support any political entity which removes God from his position of authority, that removes the Bible as our foundational oral principle, the Constitution as our ultimate protector of rights, that removes freedom as a way of life and replaces our national sovereignty with the global government in rebellion against God, that wants to enslave its own population, its own poor, to government handouts, and puts over 50 million of our children to death, and they end up calling what God calls good evil and evil good. How could any Christian who loves Jesus Christ and accepting his Savior support any organization, affiliation, political party, or candidate that supports all that? I just, I just can't see how any Christian could. Yeah. And I was actually having a conversation with a person on Facebook recently, uh, shortly after they had this vote here with with removing God. And I made the comment, you know, about Christians and how, how could you support a party that has taken God out? 
And I said, I won't, I will not support them. And this person responded to me, said, well, I guess you also do not support the public school system <laughs> because they removed God. And, and, I, and, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, you got to come up with something better than that if you want to try to defend it. But the thing is, there's there is no defense. If God is removed, you, there is no win. It's, it's just no way possible. You can't take God out of anything and expect it to be successful. And uh, I just would like for so many people to really open their eyes and wake up. And I think there are a lot who deep down inside, they do know it, but they just don't want to accept the fact or face the truth. They want to go along with tradition or stereotypes, whatever it is. They made an allegiance to whether it maybe is their race or their political party. They have more of an allegiance to those things than they do to God. And that's just a really troubling thing for me when I look at people who say they're Christians and I see that happening. It's like a sports team, you know, uh, take the, uh, I don't know, the Cowboys, for instance, not doing so hot. But you know what? We here in Texas we love the Cowboys. We'll support them no matter what, no matter how many times they fumble and make mistakes and all that. It's our home team. We're going we're gonna to support and vote them. And I think people take politics like that, that, you know, uh, this party is my home team. I, you know, I, I, I'm going to agree with it no matter what they do because, you know, I'm showing allegiance and loyalty. But what do they represent? A sports team? Eh, it might represent fair play or not. You know, it's unimportant. But when you talk about the morality of God, whether we follow that or not, then it becomes ultimately important where our loyalty lies. Does our loyalty lie to our favorite sport team our favorite candidate or favorite party, or does our loyalty lie to God, the creator of the universe, the one who saved us and gave us that moral law? That's the question that every Christian needs to ask. Yeah. Amen. And I'll just say this as well. Probably not the best analogy, but you and I, we're both married men and we support our wives, of course. And but we don't agree on every single thing. There, there's no married couple, I would think, that has ever agreed 100 percent on every single thing. And you sometimes have to voice that. And so what I would at least say to people out there, at least if you're going to stay with a party, that is going against God. At least be willing to stand up and speak out against the things that they are doing and saying that is going against God. Don't just go along with it simply because, as you stated, it's your favorite team. Don't take that approach. At least be willing to say, hey, we need to change this or else we're going to be on the wrong side of God's favor. Amen. Absolutely right. All right. So have a couple more things to talk on here just before we wrap things up. Depending on the outcome of this election, how do you foresee? I want you to sort of put on your, your prophecy hat for a minute here. How do you see or where do you see our nation going from here? You know, the election, as vitally important as it is, is a representation of a more fundamental issue, and that's the morality of our nation. This election is about where our, it's, a, it's a test of where we're at morally. And unfortunately, if we fail this, whether it doesn't matter what candidate gets in, if we continue to slip into the immoral abyss that we have been going so rapidly, then we'll be just like Second Chronicles 36, 15 through 17, which read, And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the kings of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hands. If we as a nation continue to slip morally out of God's law, then he will have no use for us as a, an avenue of his, his grace upon the world, sending out missionaries, sending out help, being a uh, stabilizer with our military throughout the, the planet. 
he will take that away from us and we will become a third world nation totally destroyed by infighting, by being taken over, by ideology, and possibly even civil war. So we have to look at the Bible and, and see that God wants us to focus on morality. If we are as Christians, we need to be focused on that and getting people to know Jesus as their Savior because it's not gonna, you're not going to change a country by an election. You're going to change a country by the people in it and by their hearts. Amen. Amen. So to wrap up this whole discussion, to bring it all back together, how should the Christian approach the election? We, of course, already touched on many points, but there are a lot who say they're going to stay home. They say they can't they just can't bring themselves to vote for either of these candidates. So how should a Christian approach this, ele this election? I mean, should they stay home or should they go and write in someone? What, what do you say? Well, as Christians, while we're living on this planet, we are, we've been tasked to. We are we are the restrainer of evil in all levels of society. Now we know this world's going to perish. The, if you study the Bible, you study Bible prophecy. It says the United States is going to eventually join the clubbing coming global government. It will happen one day. Uh, the Bible says the global government will be controlled by a character, a figure called the Antichrist, who will wage war against the planet and to destroy to try to destroy Israel. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But while we're still here, why we Christians are on this earth waiting for the rapture of the church, we've got to fulfill our purpose in life. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that this is why we were created and this is what we were meant to do. It, it reads, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So while we were here, we need to be that salt and light in the earth. We need to get out there and restrain evil. Whether we restrain evil by helping our neighbor, by sharing the gospel, by going out and voting on the candidate that will try to restrain evil as much as possible, the congressman, the senator, whoever, we need to be out there and be restrainers of evil. And that's how the Christians, I believe, should approach this election. Not by party affiliation or about what they can give, get personally for themselves, but by doing God's work all the way up until Jesus Christ returns. And if I can add this quote, I, I just read this today and it really hit me. It was by a Russian. Uh, he wrote this four years ago. It's Stanislav Mishinshny. He wrote this for Pravda, uh, Pravda, excuse me. He wrote this, The proud American will go down into a slavery without a fight, beating his chest and proclaiming to the world how free he really is. The world will only snicker. What if, mm -hmm. I mean, that just touched me. What if we spend all our time proclaiming how free we are, but in our immorality, give ourselves over to an oppressive government, an oppressive system that takes our freedom away and puts us in slavery to our own immorality? And if the Russians, who endured 70 years of living under a totalitarian communist regime, see us going in there, we should take heed and listen to them. Yeah. Amen. I agree with you 100 percent, Nathan. As always, you always give sound doctrine, sound advice. And, and that's why I wanted you to come on to speak on this topic. And hopefully we can influence people out there, not just Christians, but we can influence everyone on the right way to approach uh, the election and even going forward. Because as you stated, it doesn't matter who's our president. If we continue to go down the road of immorality in this nation, we're, we're not going to have success. We're going to be doomed. So we have to change. The hearts have to change of the people and we have to turn back to God. And if anyone just wants to know what is going to happen, well, as you touched on, all we have to do is turn to our Bible, look at the nation of Israel, go to the Old Testament and look at what happened, how they went through cycle after cycle of turning away from God, 
judgment of God coming repentance. And you just saw that cycle going over and over and over. And um, we're, we're calling out for a time of repentance in this nation. And if we don't have that repentance, I think we're going to see the judgment come even more. But with that said, I, I don't want to paint a picture here that, that this is all gloom and doom. Our future is gloom and doom. Sometimes, you know, we as people who who focus on Bible prophecy, many view us as just gloom and doom type of people. But I, I will say this. I was at your ministry's conference back in June and, and I've never been in the atmosphere before a Christian atmosphere in which I saw so many people smiling and laughing and just having a good time. And I, I stopped and asked myself, why do people say it's always gloom and doom? I mean, we we're some of the most happy people there you will ever see. So when you have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, good times are ahead. But we have to be the watchman on the wall to warn the people if we don't do things God's way, what the consequ consequence will be. Absolutely right. Well, Ed, thank you for that. I'm glad you got to see a happy people. Uh, Bible prophecy is tough because we are like the darkest hour right now. We are at a point in history where it's all coming down, where Satan's going to have his last, one big last push to take over the world, and the world's going to burn through it. Uh, the tribulation, that seven-year wrath of God that's coming on this planet, is coming soon. And so we can get really focused on that because that's the near. But the far is so much more important because once you get over all this, you know, the, the gloom and the doom and the destruction, which certainly will come, it means Jesus Christ returns. It means he defeats evil. It means he sets up his kingdom of peace, righteousness, and justice. It means that we live through eternity. Lifespans are extended. The curse is lifted. And Jesus rules and reigns. And that's a wonderful, exciting time coming up. And that's the big picture. That's what we look forward to. Amen. Amen. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on. It's going to be interesting to see what takes place over the next couple of months with this election and where our nation goes from here. And again, thank you so much. And do you have any final words before we wrap things up? Well, Brian, I just want to say thank you. It's been a blessing. And uh, keep up the great work, man. Uh, I know it's hard uh, to stand for righteousness in this day and age, but you, you're a great lamp that does that. Amen. Well, thank you so much. And, and the feeling is definitely mutual. And to our listeners, uh, just keep looking to our Lord. He told us for those who endure until the end, there are great things waiting. So, yeah, things may look like it's coming apart at the seams here. And for those who are discouraged, Christians who say they don't want to participate, don't stay at home. We need your voice. We need you to go out and make a difference because, again, we're faced here with two evils. So you have to choose which is the lesser of two evils. So just look to God for that guidance and he will definitely steer you the right direction. So until next time, we'll be back next week with another message. Many, many blessings to all. You've been listening to the Bible teacher, Brian C. Thomas, founder and president of God First. Brian and God First reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at our website, godfirst.org. Until next time, remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, bless God's great nation of Israel, and seek first the kingdom of God.